0: Welcome to September, everyone. I know that usually when you get into September as we turn the calendar over and people head back to school, I find myself thinking, where did the summer go? Like, what did we do this summer? And this year, the arrival of fall has been kind of accelerated by the weather this last week, but usually... The completion of summer and the start of fall is signaled for me by the fact that I still have a list of things that I told myself I was going to do in the summer, and I have not yet done them. A task list. Does anybody else experience this? You think, oh yeah, let's put that on the summer project list. And then now it's September, and you're thinking, I did not get to those things. So maybe you should just make a new title for that summer job list. Stuff to do that I might get around to someday who am I kidding? But you see, I start the summer off with such good intentions, right? I make the list. And I I have projects around the house that need to get done that I'm totally going to do this year. This will be the year that I finally power wash that corner of the patio that I never get to. This will be the year that I part that paint that part of the peak of the roof that I couldn't quite reach last summer in safety. This will be the year that I repair the part of the fence that's broken. Yeah, none of that stuff got done this summer around our house. Maybe for you, it was a list of activities that you thought, I am totally going to do. I'm going to be a fun person this summer. I'm going to do things. And then for the first week of July, you were totally fun. And then after that, Life got busy, and you just didn't get around to doing all of the fun things that you thought you wanted to do this summer. Or maybe you said to yourself, this summer, I will get organized. I will totally tackle that filing system. Or maybe you thought, I'm going to read those books, that big pile of books that's always collecting dust on the end table. I'm going to read those this summer, and they're still there and still dusty. Or you thought, I'm absolutely going to file All of those things that are just sitting on the top of my filing cabinet in the cereal cupboard at our house. Or the closet that you were going to organize or the home improvement project that you were going to get to. Right, Pastor Wally, five years ago? Yes. Or the neighbors that you said to yourself, I will totally invite those people over for a barbecue this summer. It's September and you didn't do it. Maybe you feel a little bit like that as you come into the fall. Maybe you feel a little bit discouraged. You feel like maybe another thing you could rename your to-do list is the shoulda, coulda, woulda, didn't list for the summer for you. You started off the summer so well, so many good intentions, but as you came to the end of the summer, you realized, oh, I experienced drift. I didn't actually get those things done. A lot of times we start off with amazing intentions in our lives, in so many good areas of our lives, but academically, relationally, financially, but drift happens in our lives, even in our spiritual lives. And so this summer we've been looking at the book of 1 Kings, and we've been looking at the life of Solomon. And the heart behind this teaching series has been to explore wisdom. What does wisdom look like and how could we build it into our lives in ways that would be meaningful? How could we learn to seek God for wisdom when we need it and his direction for the challenges that you and I face in our lives? And we've seen time and time again in the book of 1 Kings that Solomon's life starts off so great. He has so many things going for him at the beginning of his life. He's awesome parental influences. His father David is described as a man after God's own heart, one who loves God, one who obeys God, one who follows God. And so Solomon sees the pattern in David's life. David isn't perfect, but David acknowledges when he's wrong. And he could be a decent model of wisdom for Solomon. We see in 1 Kings chapter 3 that when Solomon starts his life, just as a teenager, God appears to him in a dream. And he says, Solomon, I will give you anything that you ask for. And instead of asking for wealth, instead of asking for the defeat of his enemies, instead of asking for a long life, Solomon starts well by asking God for wisdom. And God gives it to him. And we see that God allows Solomon to use the wisdom that God gave him in incredible and life-changing ways to help others. Ruth Ellen taught us uh, from 1 Kings chapter 3 the story of two women who came to Solomon to help them solve, help him solve a problem for him. They both had given birth to babies a few days apart, and one of the babies had died and the other lived, but both claimed that the living child was theirs. And so how do you solve this problem? Solomon is able to ask questions and decide. He asks for a sword to be brought to him, and he orders the living child cut in two. You remember this story? And immediately, the mother who's the real mother cries out and says, no, no, let the child live. Don't kill him. And the other woman says, that's fine. I'd like the half that doesn't need changing. But Solomon's plan actually worked, and they were actually able to discern who the real mother was who would want the baby to live. And so 1 Kings 3.28 says, when people heard about Solomon doing things like this, the king's decision, they saw the wisdom that God had given him for rendering justice to the people, and they praised God. Solomon used his wisdom that God gave him in incredibly helpful and productive ways for rendering justice. Incredible stuff. And then we see Solomon as he goes through his life using the wisdom that God gave him to build the temple. The place where before Jesus came to earth, where people could go and connect with God. And the project scope on this thing is incredible. Billions and billions of dollars and years and years of labor. And in chapter 8 of First Kings, when they finally get this thing finished under Solomon's watch, he prays. And you read this prayer, and he has such conviction, such passion for it, that still thousands and thousands of years later, pastors are still praying that same prayer at building dedications for churches. But Solomon gave in, God gave Solomon incredible wisdom to use, in very practical ways to help his people, and to actually create a space where people could meet with God. And then we have the, Sol, the story of Solomon's uh, interaction with other nations. And his fame and the wisdom that God gives him becomes so renowned that other people begin to seek him out. So we have the queen of Sheba travels all the way to Jerusalem to see if the wisdom that she heard was coming about was true. Because the wisdom that God gave Solomon was so attractive that it attracted other people to God. And so you can see as we've been building our wall of wisdom over here through the course of the summer, we've been asking questions and we've been looking at what's the core truths that we begin to learn about wisdom. And one of the questions that we asked was, when was the last time that somebody looked at your life and said, you know what, that person is so wise that they sought you out because of the wisdom of God that was evident in your life? Are you living a life that is attracting people to Jesus because of the wisdom that God has given to you? So we see all these incredible things in Solomon's life, but we also see areas of drift. We see areas where he goes off course ethically and spiritually We saw it last week, Pastor Mike preached and reminded us about some areas in Solomon's relationships where he began to make critical mistakes that ultimately led his heart to turn away from God. And it led ultimately to his demise and almost all of the good things that God had done in Solomon's life and in the nation begin to fade away because of the choices that Solomon makes. And we're going to see this morning that this can happen to you and I as well. Drift happens. You and I can start out with fantastic intentions, and we can follow God hard in our lives. We can learn to love Jesus. We, other people can see this in our lives, but we too can drift off course and end up not finishing well. And so the final block that we're going to add to our wall of wisdom as we finish off the series today is this. Wise people resist drift. Drift. And the reason that they resist drift is so that they can finish well. Wise people resist drift in their lives so that they can finish and honor God well. And we're going to talk about three things that we see in 1 Kings 11 that you and I can build into our lives that we need to finish well. So let's pray and then we'll pick up Solomon's story in 1 Kings chapter 11. God, we thank you for the wisdom that you give to us. In the book of James, you promise, you say you're gonna pour out wisdom to those who ask with generosity. And so God, there are so many situations that each of us are facing in our lives right now that we need your wisdom for. And we need you to pour out your wisdom and your spirit to us, Jesus, with generosity, even in this place today. And so God, I pray for each person here that our hearts would be open to hear from you, our ears would be open to listen to you, and that where you nudge us, Father, we would also have the courage and the capacity by your spirit to walk in faithful obedience. And we thank you, Father, for the authority of your word. Uh, We thank you that it's truth, that it's our guide for life. And so we pray as we look into your word this morning, God, that you would teach and strengthen us in the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. So, we're going to head to 1 Kings chapter 11. And uh, you can turn there in your Bibles or on your devices. Here at Jericho, a lot of people use uh, Uversion app. and um, We're going to pick it up in 1 Kings 11 in verse 9, where it talks about what's going on in Solomon's life and the drift. So, the Lord was very angry with Solomon because, for his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him, twice, personal visitation from God, twice in his life to warn Solomon specifically about worshiping other gods. But Solomon did not listen to the Lord's command. So now the Lord said to him, since you have not kept my commands and you have disobeyed my decrees, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and I'm going to give it to one of your servants. But For the sake of your father, David, I will not do this while you're still alive. I will take the kingdom away from your son. Even so, I will not take away the entire kingdom. I will let him be the king of one tribe for the sake of my servant, David, and for the sake of Jerusalem, my chosen city. God still is merciful to Solomon, even though Solomon's heart is so hard. God has appeared to Solomon time and time again, not only once at the beginning of his life, but twice to warn him. But Solomon chooses not to listen to God's instructions and commands. a guy that started off so well, and in less than 40 years in the space of his reign, he goes from asking and seeking God with such humility and such a tender heart, such an open heart towards Jesus, and what God is doing And to a place of openly rejecting God's instructions. Even when God personally appears to him and gives him an invitation to return. God gives Solomon all of this incredible wisdom. He writes all of these proverbs about inclining your ear to listen when wise people talk to you. All of this in his heart and his life and yet wisdom slips away from him. It's tragic. But it's not uncommon. Solomon started well but he did not finish well because he he drifted. But see, even in this, God demonstrates his mercy. God's not finished with Solomon, not yet. In his grace and in his abundant mercy, God intersects Solomon's life. And he sends him not only direct warnings, but look with me at what else God sends him. In 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 14, the Lord raised up Hadad, the Edomite, a member of Edom's royal family, to be Solomon's adversary. And then a little bit further down in verse 23, God also raised up Razon, son of Elida, as Solomon's adversary. God gave Solomon not only personal warnings, but he also brought into Solomon's life these two men who were going to challenge him and who were going to make life challenging for him and... They became the leaders of a gang of rebels. They were leading a rebellion. Jared, I know you love Star Wars, but not that kind of rebellion. A different kind of rebellion. A mil- That's right, a military rebellion. Thank you. So these two gentlemen lead armies against Solomon and began to make life complicated for him. But not only that, they raised God raised up a person inside of Solomon's own workforce to be a leader of a rebellion. And the most challenging of these wasn't the foreigners, Hadad or Rezon. it was a young man by the name of Jeroboam. Look with me at 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 26 to 28. Another rebel leader was Jeroboam, son of Nabat, one of Solomon's own officials. And he came from the town of Zeradah in Ephraim, and his mother was Zariah, a widow. This is the story behind his rebellion. Solomon was rebuilding the supporting terraces and repairing the walls of the city his father David built. That was Jerusalem. Jeroboam was a very capable young man, and when Solomon saw how industrious he was, he put Jeroboam in charge of the labor force from the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh, the descendants of Joseph. So now I need, at this point, two volunteers to help me And they're going to act out the rest of our story. It's non-speaking parts, so you don't have to worry about that. The only thing I need, I need a person to play the part of Jeroboam, and I need a person to play the part of the prophet. And if you play the part of the prophet, you have to fit into a medium or smaller. So that's the only condition. Okay, all right, Miriam's going to come. What part would you like to play? Okay, you'll play the part of the prophet. Okay, and now we need a Jeroboam. Can someone come and play the part of Jeroboam? Okay, so you need to put this on. Do we have a person to play the part of Jeroboam? Jared, you need to run media. Focus. Stay focused. Okay. You can point and pick someone. Then they can be upset with you, not with me. Ron, Zachariah. All right, Ron, Zachariah. Oh, all right, Rebecca's going to come. Rebecca's going to come. Ron's been on stage already this morning. Okay. Okay. All right, so, Rebecca, you're going to play the part of Jeroboam, and then, Miriam, you're going to play the part of Ahijah, the prophet. All right, so, you just follow along. I'm going to read in the text, verse 29. One day, as Jeroboam was leaving Jerusalem, pretend you're leaving Jerusalem, the prophet Ahijah from Shiloh met him along the way, and Ahijah was wearing a new coat. Let's pretend it's a new coat. The two of them were alone in a field, and Ahijah took the new coat coat and tore it into 12 pieces there you go go for it yep I cut it with the purpose of there you go yep there you go Kate you'll find other little uh, I may not have trimmed through that that may have been an oversight so this may take us a bit to get 12 pieces so talk amongst yourself we're getting 12 pieces here of the coat Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Kate there's other little Kate, you can grab it too there's other little cuts we can just rip, rip, rip. The pieces don't have to be equal. The tribes weren't all the same size, you know. So there's some, what else have we got here? We've got some arm rips we can do. Okay, oh. Oh. there we go. There's a small piece. Uh, oh, what else am I, can I rip in here? I'm sure it's, here we go. This will rip. There we go, there's another piece. How many pieces do we have now? Four, Four. Three. okay, five. five, okay. This one will get us a few more, okay. Yeah, yeah, that's looking good, okay. Do we have 12? Nope, seam, there's a seam ripper? How come I didn't know about this tool? Oh. oh, okay, got it, okay, all right. Oh, here we go, we can get this. Yeah, that'll work. A cuff. No, that's not gonna work, I thought. hmm. Do we need more still? Okay, we're close, Nine, ten. So if I can double this then, this one is like, this one's being difficult. I feel like I should use my teeth but that's not gonna be helpful, I know. Okay, you grab this side and I'll grab this side and we'll just see what happens. Uh. <laughs> It's not gonna work out well. <laughs> We're gonna like, uh, you know, oh, wait, no. and then we had no more guitars because we ruined them all. Hmm. Where can we strategically rip this thing? I thought I cut this into. Oh yeah. Okay. Hmm. Right there. You think? I don't know. Let's try another one. Does anyone have scissors in their pocket? People have like. Curtis is like. All right. Whoa. And the prophet Ahijah had a knife and, and all was okay, that'll work. That'll Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right, here we go. All right, ready? One, two, three. Okay. But remember, they were alone in the field, so I didn't help them with that at all, right? So okay, we're calling that 12. That'll be 12. Okay. So you tore it into 12 pieces. That's right. And then he said to Jeroboam, take ten of these pieces. keep two, Prophet. There you go. Ten. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I'm about to tear the kingdom from the hand of Solomon, and I will give ten of the tribes to you. But I'm going to leave one tribe for the sake of my servant David and the sake of Jerusalem. For Solomon has abandoned me and worshipped the goddess of the Sidonians, Chemosh, the god of Moab, Molech, the god of the Ammonites. He has not followed my ways and done what's pleasing in my sight. He has not obeyed my decrees and regulations as his father David did. But I will not take the entire kingdom from Solomon at this time. For the sake of my servant David, the one whom I chose and obeyed my commands and decrees, I will keep Solomon Uh, as a leader for the rest of his life. And then moving down to verse 40, Solomon tried to kill Jeroboam, and so Jeroboam fled to Egypt and stayed there until Solomon died. Okay, so let's thank our our prophets. Yes, thank you. That's a good idea. (laughs) All right. So we have, in the Old Testament, oftentimes prophets are called upon to give dramatic testimony or witness to what it is that God wants to do. Sometimes they act this out as a parable or an object lessons, so it's 100% clear to the recipient what is going on. And so Ahijah, in this case, is no different. Here God says to Jeroboam, I'm going to give you 10 of the tribes to lead and be in charge of. And so he symbolizes that by ripping this coat, which symbolizes the tribes of Israel, and then gives him 10 pieces. And we see this rebellion now coming not only from outside adversaries, but from right within Solomon's own ranks. Jeroboam works for Solomon. He's a young leader with tons of promise and potential and skill, and he's promoted. But we learn, actually, if we read the book of Chronicles, that the labor force under Solomon was not happy with how things were going. The people were taxed very heavily to pay for some of Solomon's building projects, and so they were not really on board with all of the things that Solomon was doing. There was a lot of hardship under his rule. So while the reign of Solomon looked great for those in leadership and those at the top of the ladder, those people at the bottom of the economic ladder And social ladder were not having the same wonderful experience and so under Jeroboam they begin to rise up and Jeroboam provides leadership and organizes that rebellion but the one thing to note here is that this is actually not Jeroboam's idea Jeroboam doesn't wake up one morning and say you know what I'm going to lead a rebellion the text says to us this is actually something that the Lord initiated Every time that an adversary is mentioned in 1 Kings chapter 11, the text says, the Lord raised up Hadad. God also raised up Razan. And here God speaks very directly through a prophet, a prophetic word to Jeroboam and says, I'm going to give 10 of these tribes to you. And so we enter a period now in Israel's history, which we'll pick up again next summer in our series, where the kingdom is divided and remains permanently divided because of Solomon's sin. And the question that the writer wants us to ask is, why? Why did this happen? Why did God send these people into Solomon's life? Why did God send these hardships into Solomon's life? And this is where wisdom comes into play. God sent them into Solomon's life because he was drifting. He was off track. And he was not paying attention to God himself speaking to him. And so God says, I need to get Solomon's attention. I need to pull him back on track. And I want Solomon to finish well. God sent these people into Solomon's life because he was in the middle of drift and so God was being gracious to Solomon. Now, of course, Solomon didn't or wouldn't have seen it that way or experienced it that way. And so don't hear what I'm not saying, right, church? Just because something is challenging that comes into your life doesn't automatically mean that, oh, God is punishing you or you're in the middle of drifting away from him. No. But there is wisdom when life gets challenging to pause and ask the question, what's going on in my life right now? What path am I walking? If if I continue walking down the path and I'm walking now, where's it going to lead me? If I continue down the path I'm walking on right now with scripture intake, if you continue on that path for this fall, where's it going to take you? Is it going to draw you closer into a relationship with God or is it going to be about the same or worse? If you invest in the community around you, neighbors, friends, people here at Jericho, If you invest in that in the same trajectory as you have done for the first eight months of 2016, where's that going to take you for this fall? If you continue down the path of walking with God, like you're doing today, what track is that going to lead you down? And sometimes God in his graciousness sends things into our lives, good or bad, to get our attention. And to try and help us ask the question, what's going on in my life right now? Sometimes God sends someone into our lives or something into our lives. Have you ever experienced something like that? Where God actually is trying to get your attention. And sometimes when this happens to us, in the moment when we experience it, we don't know always that that's what God is up to sometimes when you look back, you realize, oh, God had a very specific purpose in mind for what was happening in my life, but we couldn't see it when we were in the middle of it. In a minute, I'm going to ask Pastor Wally to come around with the handheld mic, and I'm going to ask you to think about and share a story or an example of a place where that happened to you, where you look back and you realized, oh, God was doing something in my life at that season, but I didn't recognize it at The time. Often in our lives, wisdom comes when we pause and ask, why did this happen? We all probably have stories that we could tell to follow that trajectory. A trajectory that says, God did this so that. In Solomon's case, God did this so that Solomon could get back on track. Let me share an example from my own life and the life of our family um, I grew up in northern BC, and when, we, when I turned 13, when I was going into grade 7, we moved to Toronto. So that was culture shock, moving from a small town to the big city. And my younger sister and younger brother in particular, I remember being very angry about this move. They did not want to leave. And there was a lot of tension in our family uh, at that time over it. And my sister in particular was at an age where she was losing a lot of friends and she wasn't happy about this move at all. And as we got settled in, it became challenging for her to find friends. And we had to find all kinds of new stuff, right? When you move into a new area, you got to find new service providers, who's going to be your doctor and all this. So we were recommended by a friend to this a new chiropractor in Oakville where we were living. And we went in, and before my sister even walked into the appointment room, that chiropractor looked at her and said, there's something seriously wrong with your leg. And None of us had thought about that or noticed that. And he said, no, come in and I'll show you. And he pointed out that my sister, her leg, one leg was almost a full inch taller than the other leg. And of course, when that's happening and you're growing, you kind of compensate for it. So none of us noticed or paid attention to it. Turned out what had happened was a few years earlier, my sister had been in a tobogganing accident and she'd shattered the growth plate in her, one of her legs. And so one leg was growing and the other leg wasn't growing. And the chiropractor said, you know, it's quite fortunate that we were able to catch this in time because then they did a whole series of operations where they shattered the good growth plate, reset the bad growth plate, that growth plate crutch up, and then they shattered both growth plates so our legs were the same. Uh, but it was a complex series of operations that needed to be done at Children's Hospital in Ontario. And he said, you know what, if we hadn't have caught this for the whole of your life, this would have created incredible problems for you. And so my sister looks back on that event and she says, you know how bitter and how angry I was about moving? And yet God did that so that in his grace, in his providence, in his mercy, I didn't have to wrestle with all of these complicated health challenges for the whole of my life. God's mercy was evident even though she didn't see us that at the time. How about you? What's your story? God did this so that. Put up your hand and Pastor Wally will come around and you can just share uh, a little experience that you've had in your own life and journey with Jesus. About something that God did in your life, either something good that he brought or a challenge that he brought into your life where you recognize looking back in it, you know what, God was in that, but I didn't see it at the time.
1: Share one i don 't mind talking um, when we first uh, when you guys first invited us to come back to Jericho back in April, uh, one of the things that Sylvia and I have always done when we 've uh, transitioned into a new church is said, "Okay, Lord, where do you want us to move so that we can be in the neighborhood of where we want to where you're calling us to be and so I mean we 're just over in Sullivan one fifty two and highway ten and we just assumed, hey, we're moving to Langley if God's calling us to Jericho, and so we prayed. And God said, "Ah, uh, no, I don't want you to move." We're like, "What? You always want us to move?" And He's like, "Nope." We're like, "Okay, fine, we'll stay where we are. We love our neighborhood. We we've got great neighbors. All those things." And uh, and then I think I shared this about a month ago with you guys. We just sensed uh, God saying, "Guess what? Time to get ready to move." And so. I, I thought, we were ready to move back in the spring. Why not, you know, why now? Like, you know, we've, we love our neighborhood. We don't want to move now. And he's saying, nope, get ready. You're going to move in the fall. And so as Brad and I were walking and talking, it dawned on me that a very simple thing. If you remember in April, May, June, July, Tyler, what, what kind of season was that? <laughs> insanity in the market. Like who would want to buy and sell in that market? And I think God just said, You're not moving right now. You don't need that insanity in your life. Just wait. And now all of a sudden we are meeting with Tyler and the market's going do, 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 do. and things are evening and it's mm-hmm. I think God did that so mm-hmm. that we didn't have to deal with the insanity. Yeah. We great. had enough change going on at that time. Yeah very simple thing, yeah. and we're thankful.
2: So uh, I'm really enjoying the job that I got about a year ago, but I sometimes wondered, you know, why did I go for school and get a linguistics degree if I was gonna end up in the library? And why did I look for work for two years? Cause that's a long time to look for work. And now I have this great job, and why couldn't I just have gotten it five or six years earlier, right? (laughs) But then I realized that it is a job that's heavy on evenings and weekends, especially as you're starting out at the bottom of the list. And so um, five years ago, my kids were too young for that, and daycare doesn't cope well with, you know, on-call evenings and weekends. And so really, I needed those five or six years for my kids to grow up enough that now my whole family can handle this job. So yeah, looking back, there was a reason for that. And going to school created a secure environment where I could be home when my kids were home and go to school when my kids were in school. So yeah. Yeah.
0: That's great. Thanks, Rebecca. Yeah. Karen.
3: Um, Mark and I were given uh, babies that were very difficult um, and toddlers, and um, and also traumatic births that were really hard on all of us, and um, dealing with really hard babies made us um, be very intentional about how we parent, how we communicate with each other, how we communicate with our children, and it started us down a path that um, I think easier babies wouldn't have taken us down. And as we go down that path, I think that helps us to understand um, God better. And it's made us question our faith, our understanding of who God is, how God is a parent, and then how we would reflect that to our children. So I have a hard time thinking that God did that, that he caused the pregnancies and births and babies to be really hard because that was a lot of suffering. And I, So I have a hard time thinking about it that way so that's where I'm still struggling Mm -hmm.
0: yeah yeah and in in that we want to be aware and recognize um saying that God allows things to come into our lives versus oh God's doing this or actively engaged in punishing or giving us this yeah that's a good where's the linguist Rebecca yeah that's a, a significant difference thanks for pointing that out
4: Okay, I'll jump in. Uh, 26 years ago, I had uh, I was in the construction and project management field and actively working in construction, absolutely loving it and enjoying it and doing well with it. So um, there was a freak accident and I uh, broke my ankle quite badly on a construction site. And I remember the, very vividly being in the in the hospital, in emergency, and having X-rays and all that, and the orthopedic surgeon came along, uh, took one look at the X-ray, and looked directly at me and said, well, "What do you do?" And I told him, uh, "I'm in construction," and, uh, he said, and he just simply said, "Find a different line of work." <laughs> so uh, that that was his assessment. It was it was the type of injury that. Well, it's not like life-threatening, it is life-altering, and, uh, and they were not able to uh, repair it the way ankles usually get repaired. So uh, it, is, uh, it is something that, that uh, I've lived with, and I've come to, to uh, uh, have full mobility again, and... Uh, but what it did lead to was a series of opportunities which led to my current uh, ministry and vocational ministry. And uh, it, it led me to, to an organization that I now, uh, where God has placed me, and, and we're able to build housing communities for people uh, with very low income and difficult circumstances. And uh, many blessings have come from that particular incident.
0: Yeah, mm. uh, it's great.
5: I don't like sharing, but your heart—my heart's racing. So obviously, it's for somebody. But um, I think last year was a bad year, and I struggled a lot last year, and I was depressed for for a good portion of it. And and I think the thing that God did was He sat beside me, um, when I was sad and when I struggled. I just felt Him sit beside me, and I think He did that so that I knew that it, it wasn't what I did that mattered to God; it was really who I was, and. So he reflected his, his graciousness on me. And I think he also did it so that I can sit with others, too. Um, I think I have a new level of compassion for people that struggle, um, whether just in a, in a really hard season of life or um, who that is more of a chronic struggle um, with depression or, or any chronic illness that you can't seem to get yourself out of. Um, I think I saw God reflected in a new way. So I think I'm the same with um, Karen. I don't think... God created that for me, but he sustained me. And I saw a new side of him by journeying the struggle with him. Um, yeah, so. Yeah, that's great. Rebecca. Deb, sorry. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so 12, 12 years ago, I um, had to flee an abusive marriage. And three years after that, there were some things that were happening um, In our legal battles that were making my kids feel unsafe at school and so I felt um, forced to find a new school and I didn't have the energy for that but I did I had to move to Langley find a new school where my kids could feel safe and supported and in doing that we met new neighbors who were homeschooling um, introduced us to that did that and now I'm running a homeschool business where I can support others and So that tough thing um, ended up being for
0: good. I think there's so many stories in this community. You just got a small sampling of that this morning. Of God doing things in people's lives, in circumstances, God allowing things, walking with people through things. And the reason that I have you share these stories with each other is that, Some of you might be in a situation right now where you're in the thick of it. You're in the middle of something that's tangled and that's tricky and that you're losing hope. And you feel like, well, God's not doing anything about this. God's helping these other people. Why isn't he doing anything for me? God feels distant to you. And all this wisdom that we've talked about through the summer and God pouring it out generously, you think, I would like a little bit of that. One of the intriguing things is that we see in these stories is that when we're in the middle of these times, it's not always clear what God is up to. But in listening to the faith journeys of those who shared their experiences, we're reminded that God is with us. And God is with us like he was with them as they've borne witness to and given testimony to it can be harder to see. It can be very difficult to discern what God is up to in our lives and in our world. And some of that will always remain a mystery to us. But sometimes God's gracious and he pulls back the curtain and lets us see a little bit of what he's up to. Listen again to the promise that God made to Jeroboam in 1 Kings 11, verse 38. Through the prophet, God speaks to him and says, Jeroboam, if you listen to what I tell you, And if you follow my ways and you do what I consider right, if you obey my decrees and commands as my servant David did, then I will always be with you. Just the most common promise through the pages of Scripture, the most common promise is God saying, I will be with you. Again and again and again, God promises people that he will Be with them. Remember what I said earlier, that there's things we need to keep in mind if we're going to finish well in our lives, whatever season we're in. And they're actually right here for us in this verse. The first one is this. This is God's promise to you. Three things that you need to finish well. First one is listen. Listen to what it is that God tells you. Sometimes God tells you to actually keep walking in the midst of an incredibly difficult situation, and you feel everything in you feels like running, everything in you feels like quitting, but you know that God told you to stay and persist. Listen to what God tells you in the midst of those circumstances. Solomon writes all of these proverbs about how the wise person heeds instruction, and yet when God tried to speak to him, he didn't listen. How responsive are you to the voice of God in your life? Remember, God's voice comes to us in a number of different ways, a wide variety of ways. God can talk to you through the wise counsel of other people. This week, Daryl and Jody uh, are picking up where we left off a few weeks ago when we had a discernment gathering here for them and prayed, and they're sitting down with groups of people and listening to discern the pathway that God wants them to follow for their ministry journey. That's one way that God can Speak to you and you need to listen. God can give you impressions in your heart, in listening and in silence and in prayer. He can give you a verse that guides you. As we as an elders team, we were spending time this last week asking God to speak to us about some items related to our relationship here with the facility. God can use the experience of listening to each other and wise counsel as you spend time with Him to guide and direct. God can use the experiences in your life to speak wisdom, to lay out a pathway for you. Pastor Jeff and their team have spent time listening to God and stepping out in faith and obedience to launch in Yorkson. And part of that's just listening to the way that God's wired them up and wired Jeff up for ministry. And the thing about listening to what it is that God tells you is that this is not some kind of exercise for super Christians or people that like are really close to God. This is something that all of us can do and all of us can grow in. And actually, sometimes kids are actually better at this than us as adults. Pastor Ruth Ellen's gonna share a few stories. Next week about how the kids are really leaning into this in this season, and it's a core piece of what we do at Kids of the Ridge is helping kids learn to hear God's voice, and walk in obedience. But the verse says, "If you listen to what I tell you," First Kings eleven thirty eight. But it doesn't stop there. See, you can listen, but if you don't do anything about it, that's not wisdom. So the second thing you need to finish well is you got to follow God's ways. You have to walk. In obedience. If God's given you a specific instruction, a decree or command, something that you know that God needs you to do, something that's right, either from his word or a decree or something he's asked you to do, if you know that God has asked you to do it, then you need to obey and do it. In a given situation that you face this week, if you know what God would want you to do, then you actually don't need to ask for a lot of wisdom. You just need to do it. When you're meeting new friends at school and you're telling stories about your past and you're tempted to embellish the truth and tell stories that make you look better to fit in, don't do it. That's not following God in obedience. That's not walking in his ways, obeying his decrees and commands. In your business, when you notice you're overpaid by a supplier, get that money back to them. That's not yours to keep. When you hear God asking you to be generous with your home or with your time in serving Or with your stuff, even when it's personally inconvenient to you, do it. Following God's ways is not easy. And that's why sometimes God has to intersect our lives and get us back on track. But here's the third and final piece of that promise. You need to remember that God is always with you. See, when you walk into that classroom this week, God is with you as a teacher, as a student. As you look at the potential job loss As a result of a slowdown in your industry, God is with you. As you struggle with the ongoing burden of caring for aging loved ones, God is with you. And I want you to hear this, that we as your community are also here with you. If you're in the middle of it right now, let other people here in this community stand with you in that journey. That's one of the reasons why we have our prayer team available at every weekend for you, so that you can bear each other's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. I'm going to invite uh, Tammy and our worship uh, in song team to come up, and they're going to lead us in two songs of response. I'm going to ask the prayer team to be available, uh, Curtis and Wally and Sylvia and myself. and We would love to pray with you and shoulder any burdens or celebrate with you. Constance is also available this morning and walk with you. Celebrate with you, grieve with you, whatever it is, we want to pray with you. Because as a community, we want to stand with you and help you finish well. Would you stand with me and pray? God, I pray for each person here in this place today. I pray that they, each of us, would finish well that we would pray the prayers that we need to pray. Maybe a prayer of surrender that you're calling us to pray. and Maybe it's a prayer of surrender for uh, an individual who has never actually prayed that prayer before. This would be the first time that they've come to you and said, you know what, God, my life, I've run it for a long time and I've messed it up. I'm coming to you asking for all of this grace and mercy and hope and forgiveness that they're talking about. In order to do that, you need to pray a prayer of surrender and say, God, I acknowledge that you are who you say you are, that Jesus, you died for my sins. I want to thank you for that. I want to invite you into my life. I want to invite you to take control. I want you to be the one that's in charge, and I want to follow you in faithful obedience. And if you want to pray that prayer, then just go and pray it with one of our team members. This morning, we would love for you to make that decision. Maybe for you today, you need to pray a prayer of courage and say, God, I know that you've asked me to do something, but I have not walked in obedience to that. God, I need your wisdom and courage to do that thing which you've asked me to do. I need to stop procrastinating about it. I need to stop making excuses for it. I just need to do it. And so you need to pray a prayer of courage. And you might wanna tell someone about that and be accountable to them for what it is that God's asking you to do.